Welcome back to the show. It's the To The Men After Me podcast. I'm your host, Nico Williams. This is the audio letter to the boys that will become men in the generations that follow. By the way, this is going to be one of those episodes that can talk about some mature content. Um, So if you're listening to this with a child in the room, maybe you're playing it on a loudspeaker or whatever, this is probably not the podcast to do that. So today's question, today's question is, are men sexual creatures? Are men sexual creatures? Um, this is probably one of the, the topics on the podcast that is kind of specific to men. In particular, I'm going to be talking about some things that are specific to men. Uh, but again, it will apply to all all, all of humanity. Uh, so let's let's dive into this this thing. Are men sexual creatures? I would say yes. Men are sexual creatures. I think that uh, God has given all of humanity um, sex as a gift. So not only are men sexual creatures, but so are women. And um, I want to I want to dive deeper into this topic and, and subject, but I want to give a few disclaimers. Uh, I'll, hopefully, by now, if you've been listening, and you know that this is a a podcast that um, where I talk about my thoughts and my feelings and my opinion, and, and I'm trying to do it through the lens of thinking biblically. So there are some things that I'll I'll be talking about that I'll be sharing is just opinion and I'll say that that's my opinion and then there are some things I'm going to allude to um, that are specific to scripture but man we're just going to talk I'm just going to do the best that I can I understand I'm going to get some things wrong so if you hear something in this podcast you, you, you would have a different way to think about it specifically especially if it re- uh, talks about scripture then please let me know but yeah so um I would say yeah Men are sexual creatures, but so are women. Uh, but I do think that there is something, I don't know why, but maybe it's just our culture telling us this, that men are more of a sexual creature than women are. And I, I don't know. I don't know why. Maybe I, I got some, I have some assumptions. I have some assumptions as to why I think that is, but let's just talk about it, okay? Um, so, yeah, I think that our culture um, has this myth. I've heard this myth several times. Uh, this is the argument for or against monogamy and for polygamy. Um, this is the argument for polygamy. The argument for polygamy, for polygamy, for people kind of outside of <clears throat> the Bible and thinking biblically, they will say that um, when it comes to the amount of sperm that goes to the amount of eggs that a woman makes, it's just like so much more. There's more sperm that create that is created in a man than there is in women. Therefore, you could make an argument by design that men were made to have more sexual encounters than women. So that's like a myth in our society. And I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. I truly, I can truly see kind of where they're coming from. But like if I, again, I'm thinking biblically here. So like the basis of my worldview comes from what, God says about humanity in the Bible. So in the beginning, in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, it says that, number one, God makes man and woman in his image. Male, female, he created them, and he makes them in his image. So God makes man and he makes woman in his image. And then what we see 
about God's idea about a loving relationship in the Garden of Eden before there was even any kind of sinful fall. We see that man and wife were naked and they were unashamed. And so um, while it doesn't say this, I think that it alludes to this idea of um, Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, were having sex. They were having sex and they were unashamed about it. And so um, the idea is that in a marriage relationship, that's where sex is probably is the most healthy state. It has the capacity to be the most healthy thing. So as we're talking about what sex is, I, I also love this analogy um, about what sex is. I think that sex is probably one of the most important pictures of the gospel that we could ever see. And when I talk about the gospel, I mean what it is that Jesus Christ has done to save us, okay? What it is that Jesus Christ has done to save us. The gospel is kind of um, climaxed. Oh, that was not a pun um, that was intended. But um, the, the focal point of the gospel is seen in Jesus Christ on the cross, okay? What Jesus Christ has come to do. He's come as a man and he took the sin of mankind and he died on the cross and he was resurrected. And then he places his spirit into those who believe in him and he empowers them for for um, godly living. So I think that this is probably the the sex act is probably one of the most important uh, pictures of the gospel. It shows us what God has done for us. Let me show you how. When somebody, when two people have sex, a man and a wife have sex, and and they do it in the marriage covenant, what is happening is um, those parties are seeing the other person, all of who they are. They're seeing all of who they are, and they're saying, I accept you so much that I'm willing to connect myself to you. I'm willing to connect myself to you in this way, and um, for the man, he places himself inside of his wife. So that's what we see. We see um, a a fullness. I see a fullness of you. I I accept the fullness of you, and then I place myself inside of you. And so we see this in the gospel. What God does is he sees all of who we are, all of our faults, all of our flaws. He sees us in our in total nakedness, not just physical nakedness, but physical and spiritual nakedness. He sees all of who we are. And then he says, I accept you. I I, I want, I want, I, I see all of who you are. And not only do I, I, I don't cast you out, but I invite you in closer and deeper. And then because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, who has, he has paid the 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 price he's paid the penalty for our sin he says now i'm going to place myself inside of you and we're going to live together i think that's what the sex act is in marriage and i believe that points us to what god has done for us so kind of going back are men sexual creatures yes are women sexual creatures yes god has given us sex as a good thing and the best place for it to live is within the boundaries of marriage um, because there's this idea that i am going to be with you no matter what and so if we take out if we take sex out of the marriage covenant and we just have sexual encounters all of the time, uh, I think it cheapens what it is that it's pointing to. So, 
when we do it, when we when we engage in the sex acts before um, in marriage, it's in within the, the the boundaries of saying, "Hey, I'm going to be with you no matter what, through thick and through thin." That's what we. That's what the the marriage covenant is about. We're we're making the commitment to say, "Hey, I'm going to work it out with you." Why? Because God has reconciled Himself with me. He has given me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and He has pledged Himself to me. And he has said, because of what has happened on the cross, he's pledged himself to me, to us as individuals, to Christians, to those who place faith in him. And he says, I'm never going to give up on you. And so that's that's ideally what marriage is supposed to be. But when we take sex out of that equation, I mean, when we take marriage out of that equation um, and it becomes something that is one and done and it's just pleasurable for that moment or that moment in time. Sometimes even people are in, engaged in sexual relationships and they're committed relationships, but they're not married. Well, wh- why is that wrong? Why is that, quote unquote, sinful? Well, I would go so far as to say when you engage in mar- in sexual acts outside of marriage, man, you're getting marriage without the commitment of marriage. Because when you are not married, you get to say at any point in time, I'm done here. Yes, you may, you might even be living together. You might have bank accounts merged. You might have your life together. But at any point in time, you can say, hey, I'm done here. Now, you can definitely say that in, in marriage and you would have to go through a divorce process. But the idea is that because you have pledged yourself to each other before God, before your community, and before the law... Man, you would actually honor that commitment. <coughs> you would honor that commitment and actually be together for the rest of your life. Like one of the jokes that Kenneth and I we always say is like, we're gonna I'm gonna be with you until one of us dies. Like that's the point. That's the point. Anyway, so <coughs> going back to <coughs> excuse me, y'all. Got a little something in my throat. Um going back to the question, are men sexual creatures? Yes. Now <coughs> Kind of assumed in this question, we, we want to talk about like this idea that men are more of a sexual creature than a woman is, okay? And I, I do think that there is something that God has placed inside of men that we get excited based off of what we see. That's just, I just think that that is, that's a generalization. I know that's not the case for everybody, but for for most men, I would assume that it is easier for us to be, quote unquote, sexually aroused um, based off of what we see than for women. Now, again, this is generalization. This doesn't mean that women don't get aroused based off of what they see. But I, I, as I've lived and I've studied and I've read, I think that <coughs> the things that may arouse women are less visual and more about how you can provide a sense of comfort or a sense of security emotionally and or physically. Now, I'm willing to be challenged on that, okay? So I, I know I'm not an expert on these things, but I'm so I'm willing to be challenged. I'm going to speak on the male perspective. As a male who has struggled struggled in the past with lust and is still working through those um, residual issues, I, I know that... What I see has a strong effect on what happens um, inside my heart. 
And so the question is, well, then how do we overcome these things? Like, did God make us this way? If God made us this way, uh, are we supposed to live in this way? Like, just gratifying the desires of our flesh? Or are we supposed to be doing something different? And, and I would argue that God has made us a certain way and that the fall has frustrated us in a way um, that goes against God's original design. And so for those in Christ, the question is, what are we supposed to do then? Um, we remember that God has placed his spirit in us and he has given us everything we need to over, to overcome temptation, to overcome things like lust. And man, the reason why this is kind of sitting heavy on me lately is because um, I just recently heard about a sexual allegation against this Christian hip hop recording artist. His name is Gavi. Um, I don't quite know the full story, but man, there are some sexual allegations that have come up against him. And it just reminds me of how, regardless if he did or if he didn't do it, I'm not the one saying, like, I don't have the evidence. If somebody has accused him, like, let's, let's believe them and let's do the due diligence to pursue restorative room restoration and reconciliation. Um, but it just reminds me that we are all. When actually one of my friends told me this, that one of his um, pastor friends that says, we're all one step away from stupid. Like we've we've got to make sure that um, we are actually and truly free, fleeing from temptation. Um, I feel really heavy, heavily about this right now. And I felt heavily about this, about this when all the things came out about Ravi Zacharias. It's like, man, we can have this persona of being good, godly, spiritual men. And when the darkness... In the, in the darkness of our hearts and in the privacy of our homes, what, what happens? Man, we've got to be really good about having the kind of character to maintain um, spiritual purity. Knowing that God has made us the way he has made us um, as sexual beings. And there's a part of that has been that has been frustrated by the fall of mankind when sin was introduced into the world. There were things about this world that no longer worked the way that they were supposed to. And I would say that probably our sexual desires is uh, one of those things that no longer work the way that they were intended to. And so, like, how do we how do we combat this? I think one of the biggest ways to combat this is by hiding scripture in your heart and then by having a community that you are open and honest with and they're asking you about it and they're holding you accountable to it. And so, you know, even in my own journey, I've been really being st strategic is the word about memorizing scripture. What are the scriptures that I need? When I feel like temptation is rising, I'll give you a couple. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist tells us like this is how we, we guard ourselves from an impure way. We guard ourselves from an impure way by hiding God's word in our heart. Another word uh, set of scriptures that has been good to me is Romans 6, 6 and 7, and then Romans 6, 12 and 13. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, uh, for we know that we have been crucified, our old selves have been crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Y'all, Christ has set us free from sin when we recognize that we've been crucified with him. We've been set free. If God's word is true, and it is, it's powerful. That's true of me. That's true of us as men. We have been set free from our sin. That doesn't mean it automatically goes away. That doesn't mean that there's not a, a struggle against it. That doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean these things at all. At all. But it does mean that we have the tools. We are equipped to, to be set free, to walk out of these things. Um, Romans 6, 12 and 13 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Like this text here, Romans 6, 12 and 13, Paul is encouraging um, those his readers not to let sin reign. Like you cannot let sin reign in your body because it, it will make you obey its passions. Man, I... This is not the same. It's not the same, but it is something similar. Man, as someone who has dealt with and is, again, fighting the residual issues that, that comes with sinful lust, it, it it's not the same, but it kind of reminds me of those that are same-sex attracted. It's like, man, there is something inside of us that says with er almost every like when we're in the, the throes and the heated heat of temptation, it's like there's something inside of us. That is saying there's everything in us is saying we need to engage in this. And but God's scripture and his word says, no, this is not what is good for us. Those that, that deal with same sex attraction, I imagine that they deal with something similar, something inside of them. It, almost all of who they are is saying, hey, we need to engage in this kind of activity. But God and his word and his scripture and his spirit says, no, 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 no that's not good for you. It's not good for us. So, what do we do? What do we do? Um, I think one of the best things to do is submit those things to the Lord. Letting Him know exactly where you are when you are there. Reach out to the people in your life that can encourage you and keep Scripture in your heart. Keep Scripture in your heart. You can also get rid of the things that like trigger you. And I know a lot of it, it for now, right now, and men, it you're triggered by the things that you watch and see. That's just as we who are as men. And so, um, a lot of the times, what you watch and see is the movies that you watch and the uh, social media that you take in. And so you might want to think about getting rid of those things that um, that could trigger you. Um, Matthew five twenty seven through thirty uh, says this it says. Uh, You've heard it said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who is uh, lusting after, I say to you, anyone who lusts after, who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. Therefore, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into to hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Uh, Jesus' idea here is he's saying, like, get rid of the things that are leading you into sin. He's not saying that you need to—this is hyperbole. He's not telling you to cut, up, to cut your body. 
to take your eyes out, to cut your hands off. I don't I don't think that he's asking us to do that because our bodies are the Lord's and he's created them and he wants us to honor uh, him with them, but he's using hyperbole, hyperbole and saying, hey, get rid of the things that are causing you to fall in this way. So anyway, th- those are just a few things that come to my mind as we discuss the idea of lust. Like, it's a thing. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. And then arm yourself with the word of God. Rely on his spirit and then get some community around you that will ask you about it, that will pursue you, um, that will give that will give you the environment for you to thrive. So anyway, y'all, um, yeah, let's uh, let's all move on into the word of God uh, as we as we get into scripture, because ultimately God's word is the thing that is going to change us, y'all. And so God's word is going to I'm praying that God's word. Uh, challenges you change you and rearrange you and so um y'all know i've been looking at the book of luke y'all luke is a long book and i've been slowly but surely making my way through it but what has been um really cool is just the way that god speaks to me and he meets me um and so i I got a short piece of text um luke chapter 12 luke chapter 12 just three verses 54 through 56, Jesus says this. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so what happens? And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites. Verse 56 says, You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? So I was reading this, in my quiet time, and it just felt like Jesus. It seems like you're frustrated at these people, and I'm I'm having a hard time understanding why. So, verse fifty four, he's talking to the crowds, and he's saying, like, you see when the cloud rises, and you say, you know, you know that a shower is coming. And then he says in verse fifty five, when you feel the south wind blowing, you say there's going to be scorching heat, and it happens. And then Jesus says, they are hypocrites. I was like, Lord Jesus, that is some very strong language. You're talking to your follower, like the people that you're teaching. Why are you calling them hypocrites? Like, what is the idea here? And it, and as I was just thinking about these things, it seems like Jesus is not mad that they can predict the weather. Doesn't seem like he's mad at that. Um, I think that Jesus is more upset because they know how to interpret the signs in the weather, in nature, but they don't know how to interpret the spiritual signs of the now. And, and probably this is an issue of concern. Like, what is their greatest concern? Like, this is like Jesus is speaking to a farming culture. The reason why they know how to interpret the weather is because it's pretty closely related to their ability to survive and make money. <clears throat> it's their job they can interpret the weather because it's important to them but jesus is looking at them and he's saying hey you know how to interpret the weather because it's important to you but you don't know how to interpret the spiritual signs of the time like if you knew how to interpret the spiritual signs of the time you would understand that i'm the messiah that the scriptures have prophesied about you would understand You would understand the times that we're standing in. You would understand who I am and what I came to do. But you don't. 
because your concern has been elsewhere. And Jesus began to ask me that same question. Like, what are you concerned about? Are you more concerned with uh, your job and understanding what's going on in your job that you can predict what's going to happen in your job more than you are concerned with understanding the spiritual times in your own heart, like the spiritual reality in your own heart? Jesus was asking me this. Like, can you recognize the signs that that um, you might be a little bit spiritually um, dry? Like, are, can you recognize the signs when you are uh, not intimacy, intimate with the Lord? Am I, am I able to recognize those things even before it happens? Because where is your concern? Are you concerned with the things of God in this way? What about, what about, um, he, he started to ask me, what about can you interpret the signs, the spiritual signs in your wife and the people that you lead? Or are you more concerned with things like the podcast that you, you, you got or um, whatever it is that, that, that has your mind? Like, and so I'm, I'm asking you now, like, are you more concerned with the things of your job or the things like the football game or or whatever the Instagram models can you your 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 social standing are you more concerned and can accurately predict what's going on in these realms but you can't you don't have the eyes to see what God is doing in your life spiritually so um yeah so I, it just it just pushed me to pray it pushed me to pray for myself. It pushed me to pray for those that I lead. It pushed me to pray for those that lead me. God, would, would you give them spiritual eyes to see what you're doing? Jesus has already come. We have him in scripture. He's already come. He's already done the greatest thing that he could do for us. So, Lord, would you give us the eyes to see and, and understand that? But also, would you give us the eyes to see what you're doing in our lives in the day-to-day? So this is just a few things um, that the Lord was kind of doing to me through these three verses. It's something that I had to sit with. What are you doing? Give me the eyes to see it. Well, guys, this has been another wonderful episode. I know it's been heavy. It's been heavy. It's been heavy. We're talking about some heavy things. Uh, But I appreciate you for coming along on the ride. I love you. And, uh, Hope to see you next time on the To the Men After Me podcast.